0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hello and welcome to Gibbo's Corner. This is the fourth episode. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by John Gibson, who's worked for The Chronicle for over 50 years. Uh, this is, like I say, the fourth episode. We've covered many legends of the game, including Alan Shearer, Jackie Melbourne and Gaza. Mm-hmm. Today we cover who I'd like to call the gentleman of football, uh, Sir Bobby Robson. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, a man who, who came very late to his managerial, in his managerial career at Newcastle United, but a man who nonetheless quite quickly became a legend on Tyneside.
1: Well, oh, without a shadow of doubt. And it was the job, ironically, that he'd always wanted. I mean, when you consider the guy at England and the guy at Barcelona, but the job that was going to pull at his heartstrings was Newcastle United, because as a kid... He'd sat with his dad in St James's Park watching Newcastle United play and and been transfixed by the whole thing long before he went off to Fulham to become a footballer. Uh, So he always loved this area and loved Newcastle United. I mean, I really got involved with him at great length when he was manager of Ipswich Town, when he was really making his way and getting his first taste of success as a manager. And... um, i did quite a thriving talking circuit up here where we would go around social clubs pack them out and um put on shows um and it's amazing when you think it would never happen these days because of course managers are paid so well now and there weren't so much then but they also had the passion for the area they were from i mean bobby robson come up from ipswich which was a trek in itself to come to north east from east Anglia. Just to do a night to do a, a social club on a night and travel back through the night uh, back home, Brian Clough come up and did exactly the same thing. Can you imagine managers now, whether it was Ferguson from a few years back on Marino or Pep Guardia, becoming you know traveling all the way to appear at a social club in in front of three or four hundred fans? It would never happen the, the days they were the days, and Bobby. Was at the focal point of that, and of course he went on to England and everything else. And we kept in touch because of the, re- the relationship we'd formed around social clubs here. And he loved doing Tyneside and Durham because he'd been born, and had been brought up in Langley Park. So he came back regularly, and from then on in, we remained friends while he through until
0: he died. Obviously, known for his managerial success with Ipswich and. Uh, yeah you know boss so they a PS3 the likes obviously a successful time in England mm. and then at Newcastle but many people maybe don't realise just how good of a, a player himself he was you know England capped yeah. scored for England of course yes um, oh, but, um, yes a lot of
1: people just think that Bobby Robson likes say uh, Mourinho or a uh... Uh, other other people uh, even alex ferguson to an extent who played for Rangers, but was never a big name player but bobby was bobby was in england international played at uh, west Brom. played at fulham outstanding player Um always a little bit upset that newcastle united didn't take him and uh, you know to to come to newcastle so late in his life he thought he would never work for newcastle
0: was it then? always do you think uh one of his after not rejection as a player but not happening yes the yes
1: the fact that he was allowed to go away without sort of any interference from newcastle United saying we well, want you sir and i mean i remember and we'll probably talk about it later on but going and staying with him in porto when he was managing out there uh, just before the barcelona job and he spent a lot of his time just talking about his love for Newcastle. At that stage, Newcastle and I weren't on. They were nowhere near being on the radar for him to manage. And he spent so much of his time talking with affection about him and his dad on the terraces at St. James's Park, watching Newcastle and I before he went away to Fulham to play. And um, how much he loved the club and followed the club. And he never thought the opportunity demands the club would come. Um, it did come, funny enough, before he took it when he was at Barcelona and, and uh, John Hall went to get Bobby and um, there's two things stopped Bobby coming then, one was the fact that he was so loyal and he still had a year left of his, of his contract at Barcelona, he didn't realise that within months he'd be <laughs> kicked upstairs and, and, and wouldn't be manager anymore else he might well have come, he didn't want to walk out on a contract. Um, but he also learned that other members of the Newcastle board were already talking to whoever it was. Kenny English. Uh, at the same time as they were talking to him, and he thought, if the whole board doesn't want me, how much of a chance There's am a I going to... It was a split, get? wasn't it? Yeah, John Hall yeah. wanted Bobby, and the, the other two wanted, um, wanted Kenny. Um, and so. But it was mainly his loyalty to Barca. Uh, which boomeranged on him because within months Van Gogh was already lined up and he was kicked upstairs, which really hurt him enormously. But then um, out of that, he ended up at the place where his heart always was, and there's a statue outside the, at the ground, as there is at Ipswich, rightly so, um, and that meant the world to him. Of course, we get on to his
0: manual at Newcastle, yeah. but when he went to Fulham. Um, quite a young manager, didn't quite work out, even though uh, I think Super Mac came on board very late in in his time there at Fulham. He he learnt that he'd been sacked via a headline and we know later on in his career, especially with England, the relationship with the media wasn't exactly the the best.
1: Yeah, I I mean, it's hard for me to say being very much part of the media, but um uh, I could hardly blame him for his scepticism um, uh, about the media. Uh, by the way, at Fulham, the one thing he did, which we're all eternally grateful for Newcastle United, is he turned Malcolm MacDonald from a reserve left back into a centre forward. He's the one that converted him to a centre forward. Um, but the way he got the sack at Fulham, um, the way he was treated by the media um, before Italia 90, when he made there was an awful lot going on behind the scenes uh, it was obvious that he hadn't a future with england and so he announced before going the world cup that he was leaving after the world cup he was an honorable man he told it the way it was and he was going to go to psv because it was quite apparent from within the blazers that he wasn't going to continue in the england job and he was slaughtered i mean he came out of that as the most successful england world cup manager ever abroad by taking them to the semi-final only by gareth southgate now and but he came out of it like that, and yet he was slowed and he was called a traitor, etc., etc., before England left these shores and, and went to Italy. And uh, ironically, he came back a hero because he'd taken it to the semi-final, and within a, a penalty shootout of the final, he could have easily won it. So he was badly treated by the media, and, you know, he was always a softy at heart. He became very cynical about the media, but if you got close to him, he'd give you the, word, the world and he would uh, be so loyal, it's untrue. Um, I think that I had an advantage because I was a Geordie and so one of his own folk and I, I think that counted for an awful lot but I found, hey, we would have our rows when we were when he was manager of Newcastle United, we would row in the same way as Joe Harvey and I did but we loved each other and I loved Joe Harvey and I realised how good he was for us but sometimes our interests would conflict. He, he was looking at it from Newcastle United, I was looking at it from the Chronicle. And and that doesn't always marry up, but we had a tremendous relationship, and I could understand. I think there was times in Bobby's life when he was treated very, very badly. The way he had found out about Fulham, the way he was treated about the media as he was leaving for the 1990 World Cup, and indeed, and we'll come to it, the way he was sacked by Newcastle United in the end.
0: Um, I mean, interesting story there about you're obviously good friends with Sutomac. You helped with his column here and a chronicle, you go to games yep. with Sutomac. And what does Sutomac say about or has he ever spoken about the relationship he had with Sir Bobby and how he was? Yes.
1: yes. Um I mean with great, great affection because of what he did for him. But he already I mean he told the story very quickly about when he was a kid, um Malcolm lived outside the Fulham Ground literally about 500 yards from the Fulham ground as a kid he used to go up and get autographs etc um, etc et and he got the autograph of um, Bobby Robson the player at Fulham when he was a schoolboy and he carried Bobby's bag up from the train station up to the ground and they talked all the way up they could both talk their hind legs off a donkey so they, they would be able to, to keep going and he was on how are you doing, doing, Sunday, you play football, Bobby, did, to Supermark. Yeah, left foot or right foot, left foot, or oh, they're, they're worth a win in gold. You can't get left foot, etc., etc., etc. Signed the book. A few years later, he actually signed a very young Malcolm MacDonald from Tunbridge, non league football. He was a left back to, to, for Fulham. And when Supermark went up to, to the the ground for the first time, knocked on the door, he'd been signed by the Chief Scout, knocked on Bobby's door, went in and um, Bobby looked at him, Bobby could never remember names but he could always remember faces and he said, I know you don't I? He said "Mount Mcdonald, and Mount Mcdonald said, yes I, I actually went and had your autograph one day, he said, I remember you, you're the little bugger with the left peg, aren't you that carried my book and never stopped talking all the way up and I had this relationship and he looked at it. He looked at Malcolm and he saw what other people had not seen, he saw great pace, which in those days full backs didn't have, not like Yedlin now, full backs tended to be one paced in those days and never move over the halfway line. He saw a kid with great pace, very powerful, quick and with a thunderous a shot and he turned him into a centre forward and put him in the first team and um, he scored seven, eight goals in about six appearances, um, Bobby got the sack. Johnny Haynes, the legend, took over, um, at least temporarily, dropped him into the reserves, and he never played in the first team again at that that season. And he ended up as top goal scorer for the first team and the reserves because the goals he had scored at the beginning of the season, he, nobody beat that in the first team, and he was top goal scorer in the reserves. But he he became the man he was because Bobby, and he had huge and kept huge affection for Bobby Hobson ever since, and of course. Bobby saw him go on to become a, a in England in the national and score five goals in one game.
0: Well, was there a bit of pride? Do you think that Martin McDonald eventually signed for Newcastle and did become this legend that is still talked about here? Oh, felt that
1: w- without a shadow of doubt. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as far as um, Super was concerned, that he, he was signing for uh, Bobby's hometown club. Um, because he'd heard so much about Newcastle, probably talked about Newcastle wherever he was. He's supposed to be talking about Fulham or West Brom when he was playing for them, or, or Porter, and he talked about Newcastle United. I mean, it was quite an obsession. And um, there's a lot of pride and there's a huge affection. There's about three people that Supermac always mentions that he's absolutely indebted to. Um, and a, a couple of them are Bobby Robson and Joe Hardy. And So, you know, um, to this day... He carries in his heart great affection for Bobby and Bobby was always very clever at man management and at spotting good players.
0: Um, obviously, um, Robson went to Fulham in six. Uh, sorry, Ipswich in 69 and had a remarkable time there uh, down in Ipswich. Signed only 14 players, I think, over 13 years and yet had this absolutely brilliant success. I mean, yeah, what there's what's there's it all about? Oh, I mean,
1: quite incredible. Um, I mean, he had good players and he sang good players, but the, the th- and he had a good coach with him, Bobby Ferguson, who was a jury, w- was his coach. He'd been a reserve fullback at Newcastle United, and then um, you fit in perfectly as the coach with Bobby. But it was Bobby's man management, it has been all his life. His man management, his ability to get the best out of players, to put his arms round players and make them run through brick walls from them. He's done it all over the place. I mean, for an England manager to be as successful abroad as, as he was at PSV and at Porto and at Barcelona, was quite exceptional. English managers didn't go and manage abroad at those times to do what he did with Ipswich and then to do what he did with England, semi-final of the a, of a World Cup. And then Newcastle United taking him into the Champions League and third top of the, of the Premier League. His ability to handle men, and I think that is one of the biggest assets any manager can have, his ability to handle men because the players are so different um, and each requires a different approach and he was very clever at known at one-on-one situations he created one-on-one situations with players to get the very best out of him. and he did that at Ipswich and he continued all his career
0: If you look at some of the names that he developed from these young players Terry Butcher, George Burley oh. uh, Alan Brazil Eric Gates I mean not just any players these are some of the players the best players of the, of the 70s and early 80s With a, with
1: a shout Without a shadow of a doubt, and they were playing for Ipswich Town. They weren't playing for Manchester United or, or, or whatever, they, they, they were playing for Bobby Robson at Ipswich Town, who had looked as if they'd overachieved under Alf Ramsey um, as a manager, and he went off to England. And poor old Jackie Milburn took over and was absolutely mortified by the whole thing. It was just too much for him, it wasn't. But uh, Jackie was never going to be a manager. Um, And then you've got bobby robson achieving what he achieved Um, and i mean it was it was quite staggering and he got the the dutch boys in as well i mean later on in life he became very famous for somebody that couldn't remember anybody's names and everybody tried to say newcastle i presume because he come when he was quite a mature man and probably by the time he got the newcastle job oh bit senile getting old can't remember people's names. No, it wasn't that at all. He couldn't remember people's names when he was forty in managing Ipswich Town, and um, a big example of that was uh, on the a training at Ipswich. One day, he was telling the lads were telling me a story. He's watching the training, and the coach is taking the train. they playing a, a, a first team in, against the reserves and this guy up front's keep getting the ball and he's not doing what Bobby wants him to do he's laying it back and he wants him to go and run the channels and get beyond and he's pulling it down laying it back and he's, so he keeps shouting at him Sykesy Sykesy and, and everybody's looking around taking no notice the game's going on and he's getting more exasperated sexy Sykesy and eventually the, his trainer stops the match and said, what is it boss what's, what's bothering you because nobody knew what he's on about and he says tell Sykes he's there he's got to come short and then spin and get him behind and he was talking to about Eric Gates but he was calling him Eric Sykes they could be there and he did that the whole the whole of the time in his life he got all the nickname, you know as as Shola Amiobi famously said in one of his great quotes when when somebody was talking to him about how Bobby got all the names of everybody wrong and and they said to Shola well what's the gaffer call you and he said call court and that's 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 typical of what Bobby actually did and then um, uh, Ever Gates sort of dined out on that story up here um, when Gates he come and played for Sunderland and then stayed up here uh, and he dined out on that story about Bobby Robson for years.
0: Great uh, success at Portman Road. I mean at that time Austin Castle had just won you know, the first cup in 69. But after that, I mean, in between, you know, the period between Boy Robson being successful at uh, switching and going on to England, was there any ever ch- any uh, a chance of Robson becoming any castle manager then? No, um, n- no, not
1: not at all, really. Um, which was quite surprising. It never pushed the board out. I mean, the talk way way back I- I- of getting a Geordie back was always Laurie McMenemy who was doing so well. At, southampton remember again a bit like bobby at ipswich you know with a small club southampton and yet had them second top of i mean when he had kevin keegan lowry down southampton they were second top of the league as ipswich were under bobby and they won the fa cup at, at wembley famously all the talk was whether Lowie mcmenemy would come back ironically when he come back to the it of to Sunderland, not to uh not to Newcastle, and even more, ironically, he put them where they are now, which is in the third tier of uh, of English football when he, when he was at Sunderland. But there wasn't talk of Bobby. I mean, Bobby was always destined to follow, I think, the Alf Ramsey route out of Ipswich because of the great success he had and go to England, and, and sure enough, he did. Um, and that looked like a rocky old period to start with. Um, you know, it didn't go that well for him. He did. If you remember, he was in the the hand of God thing, the World Cup before his great World Cup when Maradona um, handled the ball. And ironically, because I mean that outraged Bobby, and Bobby was really old fashioned, old hat type of guy who was all for honesty and all for doing the right thing and everything. And he he kept saying to me afterwards when I was with him in Porto when we were. I stayed up there it, was, it wasn't the hand of God Gibbon. it wasn't the hand of God it was the hand of a rascal and I always thought that was a, a lovely word like it was the hand of a rascal because he was cheating Mind the fact that Maradona then went through six England players for the next goal was a bit different but um, yeah he, he, his England the whole look at his England career became different because of what he achieved at Italia 90 before that it looked like ending on a sour note the one interesting thing about about him with England is that once he got the England job out of Ipswich everybody remembers what a lovely man he is because he, he was a lovely man with a heart of gold warm as it possible to be but no manager can have the success he had without having steel inside him somewhere that will come out and I always remember when he got the the uh, England job Newcastle signed Kevin Keegan as a player Um, one of the most amazing transfers of all time and his home debut the first game of the season QPRPA was a home debut of Keegan Bobby Keegan at that time he left Southampton as the England captain he was England captain Bobby was In the director's box for Keegan's debut at St. James's Park, got a huge round of applause, this Geordie manager, new manager of England, and Kevin Keegan, the England skipper playing. So there's the two of them together. Massive round of applause, adulation, etc. The first thing he did, as England manager, was ask Kevin Keegan to take the... the, um, the captain's armband off him and throw him out of the team um, because he felt that Kevin Keegan's legs were going and he was now going to play a division down, not in a top division and you know for all the wonderful work that Kevin Keegan did for Newcastle United as a player over those two years, getting them back in the top division, Bobby was actually right, his legs were going so this, but the step down made it easy for KK to play in the old um, second division um, and KK knew himself because the minute he won promotion in his second year with Newcastle he said, I'm retiring, I can't play at that level because I haven't got, I can't get around the pitch well enough. Uh, so it was a ruthless decision by Bobby but it was a right decision um, to say KK you've done magnificently for England but your days,
0: over. Now England didn't qualify for the 1984 uh, Euros. You only lost one um, qualifying game in 28, but that was against Denmark, and that was the game which led to England in not qualifying. Uh, Boyciston offered to step down for Brian Clough, and therefore rejected that. And then Boyciston went on to, you know, obviously qualify for the 1986 World Cup. I mean, that must have been tough for, for Bobby to hand in that no re- resignation. Oh, uh,
1: I, I think the whole of that period with England became tough for Bobby because he'd been used to out-and-out success which were wall-to-wall success. Um, and all of a sudden, England come along and you're in the spotlight. You're horrendously in the spotlight. There's an England manager. You're there to be, to be sniped at. And he was sniped at and I think it became very hurtful and of course, as we know, because it went on with Sven-Gorn Eriksson and and everyone else, the into their private life, I mean everything comes under the microscope and he found that tough going, he he was hurt, he was resilient, he he would snap back, Uh, he didn't take it well. and it looked like it, even though he qualified for 1990, it looked he knew he was gone, and, and he announced he had the, that he was gone because the FA were already made it quite apparent. But it got horrendous, dogs abuse uh, with headlines of a traitor. because the, the national newspapers with England before a tournament usually. England are these geniuses that are going to go all the way and then they go out at the, at the first state, group stage and they get slowly. Um So it looked that way for Bobby and if you remember as well Italy itself didn't start well in the, uh, in the group stages, results didn't look good for them um, and there was concern but there was a significant change in tactics where he went from 4 to playing a sweeper, which now we would say, say a back three. You wanted to play a sweeper, so a back three. And that and Chris Waddle told me about that. The, the great thing about Bobby Robson is that he would sit down and talk to his players about their thoughts. He wouldn't necessarily do what they wanted to do. He wasn't as rigid as Cloughy, who used to, used to say... We all sit down, we discuss what we should do, and then everybody agrees that I'm right and will do it my way. That wasn't Bobby, you would bend. But, um, the, and when the changed to a sweeper, suddenly everything else changed with it. And, um, well, they went to the famous match with, um, where it went to penalties and where Gazza was booked and was crying and and um, Lineker was pointing, can you hear famous, the famous bit? And he was minutes away from... Because he believes, he believed always afterwards that if England made the final, he would have won the World Cup. Um, and he was just spot kicks away from that. And of course, one of the people that should have taken a spot kick was Gaza. But because of his the state he was in, knowing he was going to miss the final if England got there, they pulled him out of taking the penalty. Um, so, so unlucky, but he left... I mean England came home to a to, uh, carnival, um, open top bus through London with Gazza at the front wearing the bare breasts if you can remember etc. Exactly. I mean quite an amazing turnaround and so thoroughly deserved and then he went, he almost fell off the radar here by managing abroad but everywhere he went he had, he had success, PSV, Porto. Sporting Lisbon, he wasn't there any length of time. Barcelona, the one season, uh, signed Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, and um, won trophies. His skipper was Pep Guardiola. Uh, so uh, a wonderful time and a deserved time.
0: Go on to him heading over to PSV. But just a couple of things there within the the England ranks. It was an image of Robertson on the on the bench, I think is. Warren puts the ball over, and you can just see the hate um, oh. in his eyes. Oh, um,
1: because a dream that seemed not within his reach when he left these shores to go to Italy, um, the dream was the impossible dream, all of a sudden was within a cake of coming true. And... Um, and he was a great patriot, while he was a great Newcastle United guy, um, he was also a great England guy, he, he, he loved his country, uh, he loved playing for England, and he loved um, managing England, and I mean his whole love for England was summed up when he was at Newcastle United, and um, he, was, he, he loved cricket, he played cricket as a kid, and he played uh, league cricket at Langley Park, etc., etc. And um, when in Newcastle train down Chester Street to t- next door to the Durham, and he was always at Durham matches. And he was invited when he was manager of Newcastle United down to Lords, to the annual dinner down there, and for him to be the guest speaker. And he was so made up about this because it's England. There. And he got up as the guest speaker and said, you know. I've had a wonderful life. I've been privileged to play football for England. I've been privileged to manage England. He said it. But if I could have captained the England test team and walked out here with lords, it that would have completed my whole life and I could have died happy, he said, to have done that. The same as Len Hutton did, and Mike Bailey did, and Mike Gadding did, and even those that just did it on the odd occasion, like Jeff Boycott and Ian Botham, to do it right away up he said to the to the current guy who, who was leading England out at the moment, Saddam Hussein he said, and everybody went, what? And of course, he meant NASA who was saying, but he said Saddam was saying, and there was stunned silence, and then everybody burst out laughing and started applauding. And Bobby thought it was, "Bye, I'm going down well here. I've got this audience." But it was him not knowing people's names. And he said, "I would love to, have, I would love to have captain England in the Test of clothes, just like Saddam was saying." He said, um, but that he was a great patriot, and um, England and Newcastle United were. sporting wheels of his life
0: of course when he managed England Gaza just really hit his pride Uh, the relationship between them so I mean on if you haven't seen the Civil Robson film yet the documentary which came out earlier this year I recommend you do uh, go and get a copy it's it's, it's a tearful watch to say the least absolutely Gaza is on there uh, speaking to the the makers of the film they said we we literally had Gaza for an hour two hours we knew we weren't going to get much Um. And you, there's a moment when Gaza chokes up and they ask him about the, the relationship to find it I and mean, it, it's heartbreaking to see oh, Gaza two, cheerle- because they, it was a father figure to him. Two,
1: two emotional guys, Bobby and, and Gaza. Um, oh, total father figure to him. Um, the interesting thing was Gaza had gone down as a little fat wooly poly kid as a schoolboy to Ipswich for a trial and just got lost in the, uh, in the morass of players that were down there and Bobby never got him, but I remember sitting in Porto uh, with Bobby when I went over there um, and he was on about Gaza in about the uh, 1990 when Gaza and he famously called him daft as a bush as you, as you know and he, he, he meant it and he would because he was a genius as a footballer, Gaza, he could get away with anything with Bobby. Bobby would always find an excuse why it was okay for him to do that. I mean, he got woken up uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, Bobby, in his room in Italy, by this noise of raucous laughter and everything out his window, and he irritated when he put the lights on and looked out the window. And the tennis court was floodlit, and Gaza was on the tennis court playing tennis because he couldn't with some guy who was in the hotel because he couldn't sleep, he famously couldn't sleep and he was so hyper he had to do something and um, I mean he went he went next door and knocked up the captain of England and said look out the window, look at this lad, look at this lad, what an enthusiast, what a lovely lad, he's going to be here and all Instead of going down and saying what the hell are you doing playing at two o'clock in the morning, get your backside up to bed etc etc, he loved him and he recognized the talent in him and um, and he got great players to play for him you can be a great player but sometimes your ego can get in the way where you clash with a manager a lot clashed with Woodhullit and um, a lot clashed with Sooness and with Talglich great great players but there's an ego there but he got the best out of out of um, she at Newcastle, he got the best out of Gascoigne with England, he got the best out of Ronaldo at Barcelona, he was always capable and he was a father figure to so many players at uh, uh, Gascoigne with England, but also up here with young players like Kieran Dyer and um, uh, Bellamy and Bowyer, that he allowed perhaps more leash than he ought to have allowed and um, because there were good players and he was a father figure to them and, and near the end, sadly, I think they contributed to, to his sacking because they took a lend. And and I think people like Kieran Dyer have spoken about it since and said that he realizes with hindsight he did that and he's absolutely mortified by the fact that he did do that. Um, but people like the the Newcastle kids that he nourished and he got, and he got Jermaine Janus and, uh, and, and a whole lot. Some of them took advantage of him at the time in the way young men will before sense kicks in. Um, and that was a huge shame. But he was a father figure to loads and loads of players. And I can't remember anybody after they'd worked with Bobby they had a bad word to say about it. Everybody doesn't love every manager because he can only pick 11 and there's 22 in this squad, so the ones out don't like the manager. But Bobby had this ability to have everybody look at him afterwards and say, yeah, he was a great manager to work for.
0: Now, uh, before Italian 90, it was clear that Boyd Robson wasn't going to get a new contract at the FA mm-hmm. so Boy Robson looked after himself, as, as most of us would do. Um, signed a contract with PSV. I mean, at that time Newcastle were just about going through some changes. They weren't quite um, under new ownership, but obviously, was it a, a, a chance of him becoming Newcastle United manager after England?
1: There wasn't. There wasn't a serious chance. Um, it had to be done before England, of course, because PSV was done before England. And I think Bobby, at that stage, yes, if Newcastle United had come calling seriously. Probably would have just gone because it was the love of his life. But he'd made up his mind that he was being persecuted so much by the national press in this country, both about things that had nothing to do with him, like the, his personal life and his uh, ability and tactics and wanting another, that he was going to get out of the oven, get out of the kitchen, get out of the heat and that's why he deliberately went abroad and he was looking to go abroad at that stage, which was in some ways a decision to get out the heat and out the spotlight, you could say maybe it has a touch of weakness but it had a touch of a massive courage to be able to think and spend so many years managing right across the continent and managing successfully at PSV, winning things at, at, at each club and Ferguson at uh, um, the memorial service for Bobby in Durham Cathedral which I attended Ferguson talked about the, the courage and the belief of, of a man to, to do that because at that time English managers were not doing were not going abroad and yet he went abroad for years and was a success wherever he went
0: I mean at PSV to League titles, Porto, two league titles, uh, mm. a cup, and obviously off the Barca, the Corte del Rey, and the European cup, Winners' Cup. I mean, an amazing oh. range of success there, like you say, at a time when England managers hadn't taken the plunge. You know, we've, we've seen England managers recently over the past few years take the plunge, but it, it's not worked abroad. Um, but what many people didn't realise is just how much Robson was suffering off the pitch with illness. Yeah. So at PSV he was first diagnosed with, I think it was bowel cancer. Three months out, came back, um, and then at Barcelona had melanoma, which uh, in the documentary again, it's it, you know the doctor's talking. He's saying many people don't survive this let alone go back to work. And Robson was back at Barcelona within within months. Well, even even
1: before uh, even before Barcelona, Andrew, uh, I remember when he was at Porto. Um, I flew over to spend about four or five days with you know, the Geordie abroad, we're chronicles looking at it, Geordie's managed unsuccessfully all over the continent, you know, let's go and find out how and why and how he does it, Uh, and naturally because I was a Geordie and he'd worked with me for years, he said yes, come out, and it was quite a trip because I always remember I flew Newcastle to London, London to Paris, Paris to Lisbon and Lisbon to Porto, and in all that, inevitably I lost my luggage. My, I arrived in Porto but my luggage didn't because I stupidly booked it all the way through from Newcastle I, with hindsight I should have picked it up at each airport and took it but I didn't and so it was lost and I spent four days out there and I, the luggage arrived ten minutes before I was flying out of Porto to come back to Newcastle and Bobby gave me Clothes for a change of clothes out there, Bobby said, look, wear these now. And It was his, it was his Porto blazer, one of his Porto blazers, a Porto tie, etc, etc. And I'm walking around town with these on, and of course I was getting loaded everywhere I went, because the, the locals thought, oh, Mr Robson, he's brought somebody else over from England to work for Porto, and I was the English guy that had come over to work. So everybody was loading me in, into restaurants and one thing or another. But, it was so interesting because we sat one day on the rocks looking out over the Atlantic, and he, he talked for about two and a half hours, starting off with Dad and him at Newcastle, uh, right the way through, and he he opened up about his cancer uh, for the first time at length to me, and um, how he'd faced with shock and anger initially. Why me? Which all of us would probably do. Uh, why mean isn't this so unfair i've got so much i want to do and so much yet to achieve and uh, he certainly did he had barcelona to achieve and newcastle united to achieve um but determination then took over from that and work meant his world to him outside of his family work was everything Football was everything. He was privileged to be able to work in football and he was going to work till he dropped. I've never seen him so hurt in his life from when he got the sack at Newcastle and was almost forced to retire because he did not want to do that under any circumstances. And he talked at great length about, and I said at some stage, can some of this go on the record? And he said, yes. And we did, although some of the personal stuff we didn't do. And then I talked to him much later when he was at Newcastle, and after he left Newcastle United, about the foundation, etc. Um, because he wanted a legacy uh, to leave to the world. But he, he he fought with great courage. He thought he had it beaten time and time again. Um, and it, but pff, cancer has no respect there of any man, and it comes back uh, so often. Um, and that happened with him so you can imagine the yo-yo effect of, you've got it, oh I'm clear, what do we oh it's come back, oh I'm clear and all the time being determined to work and work until the day he dropped if he could have done. Um, So that trip was quite emotional and he he opened up and I think being away from the North East Sitting with somebody he actually knew uh, made him open his heart. The interesting thing was, he he took me out. I I stayed in the hotel, but I met him in the morning. He picked me up in his car, took me to training. I spent the whole day with him. Met him again after a shower at tea time to go out for dinner at night. And he said, The first night, can I bring this guy along with me for dinner? And I said, Sure, Bobby, bring anybody you like. You know, you're doing what you're doing. I'm so pleased. And he bought this. Incredibly handsome Portuguese guy, along with us who just sat there and he introduced him as his, his interpreter because he, he, he couldn't talk to the local players. I mean, Bobby had struggled to talk to the local players in English here because he couldn't remember the name, never mind talking in Portuguese. And the interpreter, charming man, etc., etc., never realised until years later when I flicked the of thinking and I flicked through the photographs and there he was and it was Jose Mourinho uh, It was, at that stage, purely his interpreter. He then, when he went to Barcelona insisted on taking him with him, giving him a coaching job there and from there on he become uh, what he became. and to this day Mourinho um, loves with a passion Bobby Robson and as often when he's come up to play at St James' Park, quietly put some flowers on the statue of Bobby at St James's because of what he thinks of them. But everybody does. Pat Guadalupe came, who was his skipper at Barcelona, he was his skipper. When the the memorial service was on at uh, Dum Cathedral uh, and he was manager in Barcelona, he flew over uh, to attend the memorial service as manager in Barcelona um, long before Man City and everything came along because of of what this guy had meant to, and he had that sort, the the great and the good to the also ones, all of them. And
0: obviously, then when you were at Porto, it was just at the, the time that Newcastle United things were really getting going, and Kevin Keegan did. Correct. Did did go speak of pride? Was he following Newcastle? United? Oh, I mean, he he always
1: followed Newcastle. United. He knew the results. He knew the players. I mean the difficulty it was that I was wanting to interview him and he was wanting to, to find out about Newcastle United from me so there was a battle on, I was trying to drag him back to talk about things on the record and he was just sort of, how's the town going Gibbon? and has Keane got this happening and that happening and this looks terrific and that looks terrific and that's when he sort of reminisced about um, what happened with Kevin the Player when he was up here and he was England manager um, And I, because I think at that stage Kevin's a, a, a funny little lad, and he, you know, sometimes Kevin can temporarily hold a grudge. And I think at uh, at that time he didn't take too, and you can understand it. He didn't take too kindly to Robson's first act was to drop him from the England squad. Um, but yes, I mean that was the greatest period Newcastle's had since uh, Joe Harvey um, stopped in the early '70s. Was Kevin Keegan and Bobby Robson, and um, we lost two great opportunities. With when Kevin Keegan left, the impetus and everything died with him. And the same thing happened with with when Bobby left. Um, and you know, people talk now about um, oh, you can't fight on more than one front because players get tired, and the Premier League's the only thing that matters, etc., etc. Bobby Robson in 2002-2003 uh, played 14 Champions League matches because we started off in the qualifiers and that particular season there was two groups. There was a group and then normally it was knockout after that but there was, a, you went into a second group. And so we qualified for that. We played 14 Champions League games, fielding naturally our best side every game and feeling our best side in the Premier League every game, and we we survived fourteen Champions League games and finished third in the Premier League. Uh, and players need rest. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, they didn't get much rest that season. But by Jove, they were all successful. Mind they had good players.
0: Did yeah, he did? We'll get on to the players in yeah. Newcastle. Um, but he went off to Barcelona. So he took Marino with him. Um, that summer, Shearer joined Newcastle. Fifteen million pounds World Cup. record course, Now Shearer again in the, the, the documentary Bob Robson documentary says Robson came came calling for him, and you know it, it wasn't that far off of, of being a deal. Well, yes, because I mean Bobby always knew what um, what centre
1: forwards were all about, um, and Shearer is very much his sort of centre forward. Um, he got. Ronaldo, when he didn't get Shira, he got Ronaldo, the old Brazilian centre forward that scored all the goals when they won the World Cup. And famously in Paris, had that fit had that and played as a zombie in the final, etc, etc, etc. But he'd had him at PSV, Ronaldo, and he signed him for Barca where he'd become an absolute legend. Um, and Shearer, I don't remember Gary Lineker, before that had played for Barca and uh, Terry Venables. Um, interesting that he should then get Shearer at Newcastle United. And turn, they both did each other the greatest favour at Newcastle United because Shearer was the
0: making of Bobby Robson, and Bobby Robson was the making of Shearer. Uh, and she mentioned that because it's just a quick little clip here from Superbowl, from where Sheila does talk about uh, the effect that Borobson had on his career.
2: The senior players, including myself, were down, were miserable, were out of form. The football club needed a change straight away. When he walked in to the football club, the atmosphere that had been generated within a week of him coming was. It was just brilliant, it was great to see and great to be a part of. He was so keen and eager and hungry to to, to do well. When he came back to Newcastle, it was was as if, I've been away for years and I wanna come back and I wanna show my people what they've been missing. I remember him pulling me into his office and said, I've watched videos of you, I've studied how you're playing, I've studied your body language, I wanna see you smiling, asking questions of centre-halves, Going that way, and going that way, this is what I would like now. And there you go, I mean,
0: obviously, we, we we know Robson came, Shearer had fallen out with and um, the, the famous time we had Derby 2-1 in the pouring, pouring, pouring rain, Shearer and Ferguson on the bench, the story of Shearer uh, wanting to go in and, and, and have a word with Hullet the day after, Ferguson had beaten him at the doors had already come off the hinges. Sure. There we, we talk about how Robson changed Shiro's mentality, how, how Shiro says you know, he says, I want to play him with a smile. I mean, just how bad, first of all, had it got for Shiro and the Hullet?
1: Oh, I mean, it was so bad it was untrue. Another guy like Robson that was in love and always had been in love with Newcastle United, that's why he turned down Alex Ferguson and an almost guaranteed bundle of, of medals to sign for Newcastle United. Um... But it got to the stage with Hullard that he was ready to walk out on Newcastle United and if Wood Hullard had stayed, Shearer would have left Newcastle United. I mean his best mate was, was Rob Lee and he wouldn't even give Rob Lee a squad number because it wasn't just... it was because Rob Lee was a, a outspoken supporter of Shearer and he was an anti-Shearer um, um, and it got so horrendously bad um, that he was ready to quit the club and I remember funny enough Bobby obviously when he came to Newcastle the first thing he did was get in touch and say Gibbo can you come up and we'll we'll have a talk and he was staying at the Gosford Park and I went up to Gosford Park to see Bobby and it was the the day before they travelled to London for Bobby's first game against Chelsea Um, and he said to me a lot of what he was saying was off the record and then we did an interview on the record but he said Gibbo. If I've got to have a real chance here, I've got to get Shearer on my side. Because we, this is one of the great, great England centre forwards of all time. But he's lost his way so badly and uh, him and Wood Hullard were at loggerheads so much. I've got to win this guy over. So he plays for me from day one. He said, and what I'm going to do? He said, um, tomorrow night when we're in London before the Chelsea game, he said, I'm going to spend all the night up in his bedroom just sitting in his bedroom chewing the fat with him and establishing a rapport with him which would be to the benefit of me and to the benefit of Newcastle United and when Shearer says he called him in the office now in fact that's not quite true it happened in the in the hotel room in London where they got together and talked about it and he helped Shearer because Shearer was subconsciously playing with his back full full against the goal, receiving the ball, he should have been half on the turn so he could take the ball and attack the goal. Minor, minor things have made major, major difference to Shearer's game and Shearer hadn't realised he'd started to do that, when all of a sudden the chances are, PN so many more chances because he's already on the turn and on his way to goal when the ball comes up to him instead of taking it with his back flat to go. And it was Bobby that pointed that out. And Bobby's enthusiasm for Newcastle United uh, was matched by Shearer's and it rekindled Shearer's love in Newcastle United. It reawakened it because he suddenly thought he has a manager that I can play for. We played Chelsea we lost narrowly, so what, that was always going to happen. We were on the bones of our backside at that time. We came for Bobby's home game, Sheffield Wednesday, up here, crowd going bananas for Bobby. Uh, Newcastle United, Sheffield Wednesday, nothing, Shaver five. Uh, Now I think that tells you that that meeting in the hotel bedroom was quite a success and the little point that would Shearer quite rightly has said as we've seen changed him and it also changed Bobby to have Shearer on his side. By the way they, we got a penalty in that game if you remember and Shearer went to take it and Robinson the young striker that was with us at the time asked uh, Alan if, you, if he could take the penalty because Newcastle were winning so comfortably at the time and I don't think you need to uh, be told by me, and I couldn't say it anyway. What the reply was, but I mean, basically, it boiled down to you must be joking, Pat. Not put quite like that. Shearer didn't give up goals in a penalty, uh, was to Shearer,
0: unless they we were playing Sunderland, was it a, was a, a, a goal automatically. And just before we get on to so what happened in Newcastle, obviously Champions League, uh, Premier League title challenges, um, was there any hesitation in it? In Robson to take the job when Freddie Shepard eventually came calling.
1: No, and um, he was so thrilled it was untrue. The Chronicle played a good, a big part in that, you know, because we, Freddie Shepherd was wondering what to do about Newcastle United and the new manager and whatever. And the Chronicle ran a poll: uh, Who would you like to be the Newcastle United manager? Five contestants, and then here and think and vote for the punters. And they vote with 80% for Bobby Robson. Now that's quite amazing because, I mean, you know, you might get 90% for Rafferb is now but it's because of what he's done you Newcastle Nation, but Bobby Robson had never managed Newcastle Nights and was an old man and was out of work at this particular time. So the percentage wanting him was huge. Now I'm not saying that made up Freddie's mind, but I'm not saying it didn't either because that, by coincidence or design, that was the day Freddie got on a train and went south to, to meet Bobby and, and talk to him. The amazing thing was, when he got to Bobby's house, Bobby wasn't there. He was um, down at the um, golf range, hitting a few balls, and um, Freddie was sitting, waiting desperately for him to come back to offer him, the new cast an job, Bobby would have crawled from the golf if he'd known what was happening. And, oh no, I mean, he had a smile as wide as the time, to be offered the job and he couldn't get home quick enough um, and his enthusiasm and passion was still burning brightly inside him and it showed because he took Newcastle from being in the depths as they were so often when they changed managers to well as I say that season of 2002 2003 when they played 14 Champions League games and finished third top but that's not a bad uh, old season that and um, I think that's on a par with um anything Kevin Keegan achieved when he took them from the, the, the verge of these all third division to runners up in the Premier League. Bobby only made third, not second, but he, he had 14 Champions League <laughs> games as well.
0: I mean, of course, you see the season after, first of all season, you know, from from bottom to um, fourth, I think, 2000, 2000 2001, uh, third, um, let's say, Champions League adventures, the Knights oh. against uh, Feyenoord, I mean, Oh, well that was part
1: of that 14 uh, 15, game right. one when, mm. when they played final. I mean the incredible thing, Andrew, which you remember never Newcastle fan will remember, but it's, it's of a certain age, uh, because for the first, we were the first club in the history of European soccer to lose the first three games and still qualify, uh, and, and did that 3-2 at Feyenoord, they went on to beat Juventus 1-0, they beat Dynamo of 2-1, and then 3-2 away to Fianhood, 90th minute goal, Craig Bellamy. Um, now, I mean, that was absolutely incredible. Um, and, I mean, the, the interesting thing, I said what a great man-manager he was, if you remember, I mean, famously, at one stage, Craig Bellamy, who um, the boss always said, could cause trouble in the house and up at the airport Newcastle about to fly out and Bobby was out of the room and uh, got in a, a fight with um, John Carver, the coach who was another very passionate man and a passionate Geordie and I think Carver ended up swinging a chair at, at Bellamy which is quite understandable, I think Souness wanted to f- throw a few more things at him rather than the chair. Um, and suddenly Bobby walks in on this uh, and, and instead of being absolutely decimated or uh, causing the biggest of it, I say, uh, "Hey, Bonnie lad and got a hold of Bellamy and they were just about to go and board the plane and by the, and walked with them over the tarmac of the plane and by the time he, they were going up steps to the plane he had his arm on Bellamy, Bellamy was ready to run through brick wall for Bobby because that's the sort of thing Bobby could do. And incidentally, in fairness to, to JC, um, uh, him and Bellamy became the closest of friends uh, that were possible and then um, uh, went to personal Bellamy, personal parties uh, etc and, and John was with the family and John was a guest of honour, they got great together but it, that was the ability of... of um, of, of Bobby to uh, to be able to get his put his arm around and make things happen. I mean, Paul Montgomery, who was a very good friend of mine, uh, who used to run the Tuxedo Junction boat on the town, which is the floating nightclub, and then became, unbelievably, an outstanding football scout and worked three times for Newcastle, the last time with Bobby. And um, Bobby used to phone him up. And in fact, Bobby couldn't go home at the end of training at, at, at Chester Street, one o'clock in the afternoon. Bobby didn't want to go home, so when everybody had left and he didn't know what to do with himself to be able to stay in Newcastle, he would phone up Monty and say, "Come down, we'll have a chat." And Monty had a, who lived up Stanley. We had to get in his car and go down to Chester Street, and they would sit and talk for about two hours, um, and Bobby would continuously pick his brains um, and he say, I always remember one day when I was down there with Monty and Bobby and Bobby had just arrived and this guy, he's standing with me outside and this guy, one of the players comes late for training and Bobby said, hey son what time's this? and and they go, sorry Gaffer something happened with the kids and they taking up to school and all that, he says, anyway, he says, right, you're fine, find a week's wage, son, and as he walked in, he said to me, who is that, he, he just come to the club, he was Nick of so he said, who is that, he, he can't remember people's names anyway, um, but it was great affection, but uh, you should never be fooled by what's seen on the surface, Bobby could never remember anybody's name, no fool. Jack John could never remember anybody's name, no fool. And um, Bob Paisley talked all the time about thingamajigs jigs and what's it, no fool. Good, good managers. If people took them the wrong way because of that, that initial, then they were the fool, not the managers. Three managers, all northeast managers, hugely uh, successful people. First impressions oh,
0: he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, I mean, he, he built quite a team, didn't he? He was for the youth, so you had the oh. experience of laying speed and sheer, but you had the youth like Kieran Dyer, Genius, uh, you know, it's wonderful. People, Woodgate, another one, you know, given, was, was going up to his prime, I mean, it was just wonderful. I mean, type of football not seen since, since, since the Keegan Since season. Keegan. I mean, the greatest... To, and I mean, while the most
1: successful manager Newcastle's ever had in their history is Joe Harvey, if you take in terms of winning things, like the European Face Cup, um, the ones that produced the most exciting football to watch, although ironically didn't win any silver way, were... Keegan and Robson who built two wonderful, wonderful sides um, and the Robson side should have had so much potential to go on and, and, and win other things uh, or win something. Uh, it's quite amazing. When I look back to think that Keegan and Robson never won a major silverware it's quite amazing because the sides were super, and I mean the success one finished runners up in the Premier League and one finished third in Champions League football, etc, etc amazing, amazing
0: Was the way Robson played was that his style throughout his managerial career or did he kind of mould that to give what the fans wanted here?
1: No, I I think he was always an attacking player, attacking manager he did that certainly at Ipswich Uh, Barcelona, well you've got to you haven't got much option in your Um And he did it in Newcastle United. I think Rafa, who's got the potential to be as successful if he was unleashed as perhaps Keegan and Robson, would do it in a very different way. Rafa will always keep it tight at the back and try to do something on the counter or build a side that is quite attacking but he's always concerned about the back. Um, Keegan was never concerned about the back, he was the original 4-3 manager, whichever way the 4-3 went. Um, but Bobby built an attacking side and, and always, always had, had done. Um, And that's why it was quite significant with England that he went to a back three and put a sweeper in and that made a big difference because normally it wasn't the back that he was ever worried about. Uh, No, he built a side of young players. It was so ironic and so sad that in the end, the young players that he had uh, been a father to, that he had matured, that, that owed him
0: so much. Were a great part of his undoing. Definitely, yeah. we'll get on to that. Just want to talk about some of the, the games, you know, Watson the, had the, the games against Leeds, you know, last minute winners, the last minute winner um, against Derby. I remember, I think it was a Salon, I think in the last minute or the Wall of War. Um, of course, the games against Manchester United, you know, loads of games. And I don't think uh, many people outside of Newcastle realise just how close Newcastle came to actually to winning the Premier League title when they, they finished 4th or 3rd. I mean, they were, they were top of Christmas when they beat Arsenal 3-1, or Bear going through um, for the 3rd after you'd also got the penalty. Um, there was a game against Everton later on in the season when, shall we say, Thomas Gramsson, uh left something on, I believe it was Woodgate or Bernard, and it should have been a free kick. They were yes. free played yeah. on and Everton went up and scored. Had Newcastle yeah. drawn that game, I think they would have been within a point going into the final few games. It wasn't. It wasn't as far off as, as many might think. And, and and
1: I think I mean Newcastle last won the the championship nine twenty seven. I mean even I can't remember that. And that's saying something. Um, and in fairness to both Keegan and Robson, either could have won it, and it was just a flick of a coin that they didn't. And um, and Joe Harvey, who I'm a great fan of, and he was my first real manager at Newcastle United and I got spoiled for some of the dross that followed by Avenger. Um But he never in the league got Newcastle anywhere near challenging for the title. Uh, Keegan blew 12 points, finished second and then finished second the next season although he left halfway through and at least got the kudos. They were never going to win the title that season but they could have done the first. And everybody remembers Kevin going so close to winning it because of the 12-point gap with Man United. They don't remember necessarily, unless you're devoted Newcastle United fans, the rest of the country don't, how close, as you've said, that Bobby got um, to doing that. And he had he had the potential. I mean, if Bobby had followed Keegan, and... Um, to Newcastle United instead of Newcastle having to go through hill. and And Never mind that they both took us to a Wembley Cup final. I think they did Newcastle United no favours whatsoever either of them as a manager. Um, Had Bobby been able to follow Keegan and Hall almost got him John Hall, I think the whole Newcastle history would have been different. Because he would never have lost, lost the impetus that had already been given to us by Keegan, and he would have been able to kick on. He would have been that number of years younger than he was when he did come, which would give him a longer shelf life at Newcastle United. And I think the whole history of Newcastle United would have changed. But we've got, we always bite ourselves in the bum, even when we fall on something that works, like Kevin Keegan. Um, we can't follow it up when when Keegan leaves, and even when we're following something that works like Bobby Robson, we don't follow it up when he leaves. And heaven forbid that that isn't history repeating itself with uh, Rafa Benitez.
0: Hopefully not. Um, what did Robson say to you about those nights um, on the continent? You know, the, the night PSV. You know, that what a game that was, Bellamy. Scoring at the death. I mean, special nights. The beating Juventus. Oh, the, it's
1: Juventus Park. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Well, as as, as we say, with they lost the first three, and then they go and beat Juventus, Dynamo Kiev. Who was nobody's fool, and then feign all the way. Um, but and also let us remember that apart from those wonderful results, for me, Newcastle's best. Of recent times, since the fifties, Wembley performance was in the semi-final of the Cup with Chelsea when Bobby was sitting on the bench and um, uh, we lost two-one, thanks to Gus Poyet, who then went and won dummy matches for Sunderland against him. always hated him, um, but uh, I mean that day when Rob Lee, we didn't score Wembley, we never did. If you um, forget the fifties. Uh, but I mean, we didn't score in this 74 cup, FA Cup final, we didn't score in 98, 99 FA Cup finals. The semi final, there we did, Rob Lee. And I could only see one winner when Rob Lee scored. Newcastle had been pushing, 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 pushing. Uh, and I could only see one uh, one winner, but we were s- still congratulating ourselves when Gus Poyer scored. Um, So he also put up the best performance at Wembley and might have won the FA Cup. I don't think Keegan was ever going to win the FA Cup. He might have won the FA Cup. Um, But he'll be remembered for the the days in Europe and the days in the Champions League. Um, And the wonderful players that we had, all of them. A lot of them, as a right age was a wonderful mix, as you say, between the the older, they the Shearers, the experience, the, the speed, and what a you know what a wonderful player, and club player, he was, um, and he had a, a wonderful, wonderful balance. And at that stage, I always felt Kevin Keegan was capable of leaving because he was he, he was like he was volatile inside. he always thought. He could explode and walk out, or because it was that sort of. Done before, of course. Absolutely walked out three or four times in Newcastle before he walked out permanently. And uh, times that never made the press at the time. Um, but with Bobby, you knew that was never going to happen. So you thought you had longevity and you, you, had, you had a real chance. The only thing that was against Bob was his age, you know, how long could he go on before it would be time to retire, Having come late in his career. Um, and the sadness was the way it all ended four or five games into a new season. Um, and I found the sadness on two sides, two parts of the coin, in both director-wise and player-wise. Both contributed to Bobby leaving and leaving so early. I mean, I always remember talking to Freddie Shepard, who, in his defence, Freddie Fisher always wanted the best things for Newcastle because he was a Geordie that was proud to be a Geordie and he would love to have been chairman of the club when they won something, having won nothing since 27, 55, and 69. He would love to have been chairman. It, it didn't happen, but I remember when Newcastle got off to a dodgy start at at, at that particular season and there was rumours that um, the uh, young lads at Newcastle were jerking Bobby String, um, taking advantage of a very good-natured man who would give them a bit of room because they were young men and they were not experienced or immature but he remembered but well, he, well, he was a young man once, and we were all a young man once, and make mistakes that we don't make later on. Unfortunately, some of the younger players began to believe in their own publicity and took advantage, which obviously got through to the board of directors. But I always remember talking to Freddie a few days before he went, and I said, hey, hey, hey Freddie, you're not going to do anything daft about Bobby, are you, you're not, you know, you hear these couple... Of I'm talking off the record. You're not going to do anything that. He said, No, 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 you couldn't, could you? it would be like shooting Bambi, he said. He said, It would be like shooting Bambi, and of course, Bambi was shot not long after that. Um, and the feeling within Newcastle United was that the players were beginning, you know, the tail was beginning to wag the dog uh, with the young players. And um, I think that was a bit unfair on Bob, uh, but uh, there was some truth in the fact that the, the players were letting him down big time. But I've never known anything hurt Bobby Robson the way that hurt Bobby Robson. Uh, two things happened. The memorial service afterwards, after he died, and Ferguson got up in the pulpit and massacred Newcastle United for sacking him and saying, Well disgrace and how it ripped the heart out of him, um, out of Bobby, etc etc. And not long after um, he was finished at Newcastle, I was making a, a documentary um, film with Glenn McCrory it, uh, about Huey Gallagher, the great centre-forward um, at Newcastle, and I arranged a succession of interviews to take place at St James's Park because we are trying to get them all in one afternoon because we had the cameras, etc, etc, talking about Huey. One of the interviews was with Alan Shearer, the great number nine of today, talking about the great number nine that started, the number nine legends that started with Gallagher and went all the way through to Shearer. So I was talking to him and a couple of other people, Jack Hickson, and up there and I arranged to talk to Bobby Robson. And Bobby phoned me and said, look, I want to do it. His dad had been a huge fan of Huey Gallagher when at Newcastle United, Bobby's dad. He said, I want to do it. And I want it. And he talked so passionately about his dad and about Huey and about Newcastle number nine legends right up to Shiva. But he said, I can't go into St. James. I know you're doing them all, St. James. Park. I can't go up there to do this interview, he said, because... I don't know, it'll hurt too much, I don't know who I might bump into. And if I bump into the wrong person I might say something I regret. And he asked if we would trans- if I would transfer the interview out of St. James's Park and we did it at the Copthorne on the Quayside and I did four interviews back to back on Huey Gallagher at St. James's Park and then packed up the cameras and went down to Copthorne to do Bobby's interview. That's how hurt he was.
0: I mean, there's, a, there's in the documentary again, there's uh, the cameras waiting outside Sir uh, Bobby's house, and Robson comes out, and you can, you can see the pain on his face. Says, after he, the second, yes. Yeah, after the second, there's a short statement, and then he goes back in the house, thanks to the press. I mean, in the days after that, did, did, he, did he get, in, obviously, you just mentioned that the interviews, but what was his mood like after did he contact you? Did he, did he speak to the press? He, okay.
1: he tried not to speak to the press because he, he was always a very emotional man um, uh, which was one of his strengths and I guess it can be a weakness as well um, and he didn't want to say something that he might regret or that it might cause chaos at the club um, but he was so hurt he almost hid himself away at the time and it was a double whammy because it was obviously the end of the, his romance with Newcastle United and that was never going to return and he realised that. But it was also virtually the end of his career in football because he knew at it, it, it his sort of age he wasn't going to be offered another manager. He dabbled a bit in, in, in supporting Steve Stone at, at, at the Republic, etc. Et but he knew that this was the final curtain. Um, it got patched up enough... For him to return to St James's Park to watch games and sit in the directors' box, which um, I I think he did with uh, under Freddie Shep and um, John Hall, the halls were there, and then of course with Mike Ashley when Mike Ashley came, Um, and of course it ended up with the statue at St James's Park. But and he took great pride in watching Newcastle United play, even though. He was finished with him, he still called it my club. Um, And the love was still there, but deep down I never felt the hurt ever went away. And I think a little light inside Bobby went at the the time. And of course, if you remember his last appearance at St. James's Park was the the match, remember? The charity match. The charity game, when he come out in a wheelchair and um, looked so ill. And um, I got to know his sons well, and I, I sometimes sit on the same table upstairs in the Munker suite with one of the lads um, on match days, when I'm not in the press box. And um, that night he made a huge effort to be there. He was so frail. He had to go out in the chairs, you know, and he looked very ill. And he went home that night absolutely exhausted and. The family said to me, John, it that night we could tell that was now ready to go. He'd said his goodbyes to Newcastle United on the pitch to all the old players, his old players, to the crowd and everything and it was almost like my job's done and content. Um, and so it was, but the man's memory through the foundation and through his place in history, not just at Newcastle United, he's as wonderfully thought of um, at Ipswich, he's as wonderfully thought of at Barcelona where he spent the season, and at Porto and at PSV, and quite rightly within the corridors of the FA because he was very much a man of of dignity that didn't go around slagging employers after he left. and. And he's left a huge legacy as a real gentleman of football and we should be very proud that A he was a Jodie and B in the twilight of his career he came amongst us and gave us the joy that he gave us which is the last undiluted footballing wonderful moments. Isn't life worth living? Please, God, can Saturday come as soon as possible, so i can go to watch the tune. The last time that happened in Newcastle United, Sir Bobby Robson, who was made Sir Bobby while he was at Newcastle United, he was in charge. God bless him for what he did for us, and I don't think any of us will ever forget him. No, so
0: I always ask you in, in these episodes to uh, just kind of name it or go over a story about whichever... Man, we're talking about. I'm going to ask you to do that in just a second but briefly I just want to talk about the Sir Robson Foundation his legacy hmm. set up uh, 2008 gone over, gone on to raise over 12 million pounds oh. uh, Robson was shocked at the million pounds that raised uh, yes, in, sure, in that year before he died um, obviously the great work has been carried on Patron's and likes of you know, Harper Shearer they uh, got a great team PR team behind them sure, um, sure. some great um, sure. backers like George Calkin who runs many many marathons um to raise money for them um and lady elsie of course i was going to say lady elsie uh,
1: has been a a wonderful figurehead um to carry on the physical robson family connection with the thing and um, it's totally appropriate that they should get alan Shearer afterwards a man that was so closely linked to what they achieved together it's in james's park from day one Robson and Shearer um, that he should continue to front it in the way he has um, I mean it's a wonderful legacy because let's be truthful uh, you know, you've know, you got to think that Bobby Robson has saved people's lives, he couldn't save his own but he saved people's lives since because of the money raised and what they, they've been able to do with that with that money and it's kept his memory alive though I'm a great believer his memory amongst Newcastle United fans would will remain forever because of what he did achieve and because of his great love for the club. We love, if you love Newcastle United, we love you, whether that's uh, Joe Harvey, who's a Yorkshireman, or Rafa Benitez, who's a Spaniard. But if you actually get a Geordie to do it, Kevin Keegan, a Yorkshireman, although his family came from up here, his granddad was in the pit disaster. But if you get now, now Geordie, who comes and does it, for Newcastle United as a manager like Bobby Hobson or comes for, and does it for Newcastle United as a player, like Alan Shearer, then that's extra special isn't it? Because it's one of our own doing it and that is what Bobby was all about and it's wonderful it shows the courage of the man because he fought cancer for so long he knew that this would get him eventually, he just knew that he was going to fight it for as long as it was possible and then he wasn't Prepared just to go. He wanted to work. It gave him a focus up there. Having left Newcastle United when he didn't want to leave them and left them suddenly, he had a focus to go and do something that was worthwhile doing for his own city. It was happening up here for his own city, and that is the greatest legacy that the man
0: could have. And, most certainly. and now, just you... you. Good friends with Sir Bobby, that like you say spent time in uh, Porto with him. I mean, can you just tell uh, our listeners here yeah, just just uh, an anecdote about a story that maybe many or most have never heard before?
1: Great, great question. Because I've been telling a lot of Bobby Robson stories around the northeast on in talkings and on stage for 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 quite a while these days. Um, it's. The great thing, uh, the thing about Bobby that everybody always goes on about is the fact that he he could never remember people's names. Um, uh, And that was very, very true and it produced a a lot of jokes, but he was a a wonderful, wonderful man underneath it all. And I remember, and I would, rather than the story about him, I would just like to pay my personal tribute to him, which is simply this. After he died, there was a memorial service, which you probably know about, at the Cathedral. Um, and people came from far and wide, the good and the great. Uh, Barcelona sent a pile of people over, including Pep. Uh, Alex Ferguson was there, Lineker, Gazza was there, um, Bobby Charlton, uh, Capello, uh, sven and Anton Deck. Catherine Jenkins sang at the thing, and it was such an emotional day for me because I was saying goodbye to a friend. And but I didn't matter; the great names were there. But for me personally, I was saying goodbye to a friend, and it was such an emotional occasion. And everybody cared so much that I. The Chronicle had asked me to. to they heard I was going and said will you write the piece and I wrote a full page uh, in the Chronicle the next day and the emotion came pouring out of it and that article I believe won me, Journalist of the Year, Regional Journalist of the Year for Great Britain, not the North East, I won the Great Britain award based on the, uh, the piece on Bobby Robson from the memorial. So I would just like to say to Bobby, You give us all, us Geordies, everything in football, and you give me my personal little cup, which was Journalist of the Year, because it was so easy to write about a man that I'd loved, in the same way as Geordie's loved him, but I'd been privileged perhaps to know him a little bit better than the guy on the terraces. And for that, God
0: bless him. Thank you very much, uh, John. Much appreciated you coming in and... Telling us the stories uh, of Sir Boy Robson. That's it for uh, Gibbos Corner for this episode. Uh, we'll be back uh, very soon. If you've got any suggestions of who you would like Gibbo to cover, we've got a few still on the list. But, of course, any suggestions from you, the listeners, would be much appreciated. You can contact us on Twitter at ChronicleNUFC. In the
2: meantime, remember, to head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle night news.